All right, well, you're there in Exodus chapter number 20, and this is obviously a pretty famous chapter, specifically because this is where we get the Ten Commandments from. This is where uh, they're first written down when God gives them to Moses. And tonight, I'm not preaching on the subject of the Ten Commandments, but I'm preaching on the subject of a world without God, a world without religion, what so many people desire today, but they ultimately have no idea what they're asking for when they start bringing up an idea like this. And I wanted to start off here in Exodus chapter number 20 because this is a subject a lot of people don't understand, especially outside of Christianity. All morality comes from God and comes from the Bible. Now, people sit back and they think this is just a ridiculous idea. They think that morality, you know, is objective, that some things are moral for some people, some things aren't moral for other people. But you can look down the list and think about verse 13 where it says, Thou shalt not kill. Is it okay for anybody to just go murder people? You know, you think about thou shalt not commit adultery. Is it acceptable anywhere to commit adultery against your wife? No. Uh, thou shalt not steal. Is it acceptable to just go and steal for some people? You know, I get it where it talks about in the Bible that you shouldn't despise a thief if he's hungry, you know, but, you know, others just do that. But it doesn't make it right either way. It's still wrong regardless of your situation. It's not right to do. We shouldn't ever bear false witness against our neighbor. We shouldn't do any of these things. So morality is not something that's objective. But people's excuse for this and people's idea of how we can still have a moral society, we can still have a society that's not full of crime if we don't have God in it, if we don't have any religion in it, and they'll say that people just know. We'll go to Romans chapter number 2. Say people just know what's right and what's wrong. And it, it's not just from the Bible that we get morality. It's not any of these things. We'll look in Romans chapter number 2 and there's a perfect explanation for this. Romans chapter 2 verse number 12 it says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, notice this, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile excusing, accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So he's saying here that the Gentiles that don't have the law, they, they have less than the Jews do at this time that are looking in the Old Testament, that are following after their laws. He's saying just their conscience keeps them doing right. Their conscience helps them to do right. And it's saying that they, by nature, do the things that are contained in the law. Because people just inherently know it's not right to kill people. And you say, that's why we don't need God. But the foolish thing about that is, it's God that gave you that conscience in the first place. It's God that wrote the law on your heart. So in this idea, magical society, where there's just no God at all, there's nothing else but people, and we just all coexist with one another and do all this stuff... You know, morality wouldn't exist without God because God's the author and finisher of everything. He's not just the author and finisher of our faith. He's the creator of the whole entire world. He created everything in it. So to say that morality could exist without God is ridiculous. And here's the thing. You'll notice that in our society today, morality is constantly changing. Things that society as a whole considered moral 20 years ago are considered radical, ridiculous beliefs today. 
Okay, but what happens is, is the Bible never changes, right? So we can look in the Bible and Christians that follow the Bible can see what is right and what is wrong according to the Word of God. And regardless of how many people out there get a seared conscience and don't care anymore about morals, don't care anymore about murder, don't care anymore about all the wicked things that this country and this world has to offer, Bible-believing Christians can look in the Bible and stand strong and say what is right and what is wrong because the Bible clearly says it. Now, I mentioned a second ago a seared conscience, and I mentioned in chapter 2 about a conscience, that we all have one. Well, we know that not everybody has a conscience, or that their conscience can be taken away, that their conscience can be seared, and we learn about that in Romans chapter 1. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Let's really look at this chapter for a second. Now, obviously, we'll go here a lot when we're referring to homos and everything, and I might get into that a little bit, but I want to just look at the path that these people take down, because this is the path that people who want a world without religion, that want a world without God, this is what they want all of us to go down. This is the path. Remember, we're talking about a subject of no basis of morality, right? And let's see where this path ends up leading us to. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So, these aren't just people that were just born and just never had anybody tell them about God. We all know about God inherently. People as a whole understand that there is something greater than them out there. Now, other people and other cultures and other parts of the world might have it wrong on who that God is, but people don't just generally walk around and think that we're all just here with the snap of our fingers. Some idiot that believes we all came from monkeys has to teach you that. Okay, You don't just come to the idea of atheism or evolution or any of these things by your own beliefs. You don't look at nature and you don't look at trees and you don't look at animals and everything and think that it all just came to be by mysterious you know, act of coincidence a million different times. You know, but people that profess themselves to be wise become fools because they change the glory of God into an image made like to corruptible man. It's wicked people that desire to have preeminence over God or that God doesn't really matter or that God isn't that big of a deal, well, see, there's a really big problem with that. And look what happens in the very next verse. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, it's such a ridiculous attitude every time I read that that people in this world are so obsessed with just looking at creation. There's so many environmentalists, so many people that are so concerned about the planet itself and have zero care and zero concern at all for the person that created the planet in the first place. 
There's so many people that want to sit back and get so concerned over the animals, so concerned over, you know, some oil spill, or so concerned over some natural disaster, and we as humans need to band together and fight these kind of things and survive together and coexist as human beings, yet they care nothing at all about God that created them. You know, it's such a backwards, ridiculous mentality. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're looking at this on the point of that a world without God has no basis of morality at all. Well, these people are advocating for a world without God where there's nothing at all. They have nothing to do with God. Well, look what happens to these people in the rest of this chapter. They're not wanting to accept God. They're not wanting to glorify Him as God. Verse number 26. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meat and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient notice this being filled with all unrighteousness fornication wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder debate deceit malignity whisperers backbiters haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, in the subject of having no basis of morality in a world without God, here we have a clear example in the Bible of people that desire a world without God that would claim and argue we can have a perfectly moral society without God. We can live and we cannot murder each other because people just inherently know, well, the thing is, when you reject God, God might take your conscience away that breaks that barrier down between you actually caring about murder. And what happens is, is I, I like it like this. When you're a saved person and you're walking in the Spirit, you're listening to godly music, you're dwelling on the things of God, and you're filled with the Spirit, well, on the flip side of that, when you do nothing but fulfill the lusts of the flesh, when you reject God, you reject everything that He is, and you live for yourself, you don't live for other people, you become this self-obsessed, absorbed, self-absorbed person, and you end up just fulfilling all the wicked, horrible, disgusting things that nobody else could even imagine doing. These people become without natural affection. They're wicked, horrible people. And this is the kind of world that these people desire. Where we all, as one, worship the creature rather than the creator. Worship each other. We coexist as humans. We set aside religion because these people will claim that religion is where, you know, all of the hard things in this world come from. And that people just hate religion. They'll look back and say just how bloody religion is and how horrible all the different things that religion has caused. And, you know, let me say this. Because people are usually referring to Christianity when they're talking about something like that. And I'll say this. The Roman Catholic Church has caused a lot of wars, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering... And the funny thing is, is that the Roman Catholic Church was actually persecuting Christians. Okay? The Roman Catholic Church is burning believers at the stake. The Roman Catholic Church is burning people trying to translate the Bible in English so they can read what it says. Okay? So the Roman Catholic Church isn't just out there finding atheists and doing whatever and trying to murder them. The Roman Catholic Church is integrating paganism into its own services. 
Okay, so it's a really bizarre idea to say that all oh, you know religion and Christianity. No, the wicked Roman Catholic Church is the one that has caused most of the pain over the past years. But that's not the point. You see, the thing is, ultimately, these people that want a world without God, they want a world where we just all live together and we all live on their own. The thing is, they're the same as they were, you know, back when they crucified Jesus Christ. They're the same as they were before Jesus Christ. They're the same now today. They just hate God. They hate everything to do with it. And here's the reason. John 7, 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hate it, because I testify of it. The works thereof are evil. Jesus testifies of the evil deeds of this world and so they hate him. So you have all these people that reject God. They reject everything that he is. They hate everything that he is. And so in turn, they become these horrible, evil people that are just given up to the lusts of their own mind. They're given up to these unnatural desires and live in a world of filth and wickedness and horrible trash. And then you have a Bible-believing Christian or you have Jesus Christ, the Word of God Himself, that comes along and testifies against that, and they hate Him. They're all exactly the same, and you know what? That's what they want the whole entire world to be. A whole world that collectively hates God. And you know what? They're doing a pretty good job of it because more and more and more and more people hate God. More people hate righteous living. More people hate godly individuals. Ultimately, because it goes back to a hatred of Jesus Christ. Now, go back to Daniel chapter number 3. <clears throat> because... One of the things that people think about when they think about a world without God is that we're all just going to coexist as human beings. That we're all just going to live peaceably together. Everyone will look out for the interests of one another. Well, here's the thing. People are naturally made to worship something. Okay. Notice when we just went through Romans chapter number 1, the people didn't just all of a sudden stop worshiping God. What happened? They worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Okay, people inherently have an understanding that there is something greater than them. They know in their hearts that they are not in control. They can see the world around them and they can see all the different factors that play into it. And they know that they're just not in control of the whole entire world. Now, that being said, what happens is when you have a society that's all just based around you know, people, and it's nothing but people, we all just care about each other, we care about the environment. Listen, your God becomes the government, okay? You look to other people, and the government literally becomes your God. Because think about it, we look to our God as our provider, as the one that gives us everything, and everything. Well, what do all these people that are advocating for a world without God? They want the government to give them everything. They want the government to be a provider. If they don't have enough money for something, who do they go to? The government. If they need food or they need anything, they go to the government for it. And so this is found in history. You know, look at Daniel chapter number 3 and look at the story here. It says in verse number one, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
And then in Herod cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So here's a society that's obviously without God. Okay, Now, is this a society that's just without worship? Is this a society that's just all coexisting peacefully one to another? Or is it a society that's desperately enslaved? Okay, They don't have a god that they worship. They have a man, Nebuchadnezzar. They have a statue made of gold that they worship. And what's the consequence if they don't worship it? Uh, they're thrown in a fiery furnace. Okay, They're going to burn. And notice, this isn't just you know your average peasants of the day. This is the rulers. You know, this is the governors, the princes, the captains, the judges. These are powerful people in a society that all look to King Nebuchadnezzar and bow down to him and worship him and the golden image that he set up like he's a god. They feared him like Christians fear God. Like God has the power to cast people into hell, they believe Nebuchadnezzar has the power to cast people into a fiery furnace. You know, I thought that was pretty interesting, similar in studying it out. But so, they're not just deciding that they're going to coexist peacefully with one another. They get rid of God, they abandon God, and then they're left worshiping a man. Because men are naturally drawn to worship. And the thing is, Nebuchadnezzar sets this up. And I believe that the people partially worshipped because they were nervous about being thrown in the fiery furnace. But I also think people were probably just mesmerized by whatever the golden image he set up was and just worshipped to worship because people love to do that. I mean, we can look around the world today and see the Nebuchadnezzars of the day and people fall all over themselves and worship them. We hear about crazy things that are happening all the time about these vaccine mandates and all just the garbage that the government is pushing right now. And what happens? People worship it. People love it. You know, we get around each other and we sit back and think, man, this stuff is crazy. This is bizarre. How is anybody going for it? But it's like you realize there's literally millions of people in this country that think this stuff is great, that love it, that don't feel safe having a triple dose of a vaccine working with an unvaccinated coworker, You know, I mean, this stuff is insane, right? So we sit back and look at it like it's bizarre, but then they sit back and look at it like, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you bowing down to the golden image and worshiping at the music? Why aren't you doing any of these things? Well, because they need 100% compliance. Because while people as a whole have a desire to worship, there's others out there with a seared conscience that are psychopaths that have the desire to hold the preeminence above God. And how they see God receive the worship, these psychopathic people have a desire to be worshipped like God. Similarly to Satan, who was the first to ever do it, who sat back and wanted the angels to worship him and was cast out. These people have the exact same spirit today, wanting to live in this society that has no God in it, that has no morals in it whatsoever, so that they can sit back and be worshipped by the people and have the preeminence above God. It's wicked and it's disgusting that people live like that. And you know what? These aren't just natural people walking down the sidewalk. These are the leaders of our country and of our world. This is the place that we live in. 
And when you have something like this, you'll naturally have people, a few people, that will stand up and look at this part of the story. Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 8. Look at the, you know, think about this scene right here. You've got all these people bowing down, okay? And then you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are just kind of standing there not doing it, okay? Now, they're not like going and pulling the people up that are bowed down. They're just kind of minding their own business, not doing it, okay? But these people have a temper tantrum over it because they don't have control over them, which is ultimately what the idea of a world without God is, is it's for the government and for everybody else to control every aspect of your life. Now, verse number 8, it says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sapphire, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They're not interfering. They're not regarding him. They're not obeying this command. And here's the response. It says, They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do ye not, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, at that time, when ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, sackbut, harp, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast into the, cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So, he's making a statement here, tempting God, first of all, and second of all, basically acting like he is bigger than God. That him, the king of Babylon, is bigger than the God that created the whole entire world which Babylon resides on. Okay, It's a ridiculous mentality, but these people feel that they genuinely have authority over God. They genuinely advocate for these things. You know, I referenced earlier uh, about Satan and wanting to have preeminence over God. And, you know, make no mistake about it, these people that believe that they can be worshipped, these people that believe they have all this power in society and power over the people, they have to be full-blown Satanists because they just copy every single thing that he does, every single one of the tactics that he does. Now, I'm researching this, and as I'm researching this subject, I thought it was so interesting that, you know, I haven't heard many of the beliefs of Satanism or many of the core, you know, doctrines or whatever, but, you know, obviously they base a lot of their stuff off of the Bible. Now, how you can read the Bible and become a Satanist is mind-boggling to me, but, you know, in the very beginning of the Bible, you know, I don't worry about turning back there. I'm just going to read this article for you. I thought it was really interesting. I'm researching Satanism, and an article in support of Satanism comes up from this rabbi, you know, synagogue of Satan, you know, seriously. So let me just read this article for you and teach what the Jews teach about the serpent in the Garden of Eden and this whole story and how it all works out. So this is an article by Rabbi Richard Clayman. It says... I want to share some thoughts about the difference between Adam and Eve before and after they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge. To state things up front, my claim is that Adam and Eve did not just undergo a fall, but also a significant rise. To make that claim, 
I'm going to argue that two of the main characters, the snake and God, have often been misunderstood. The snake has gotten a bum rap, and God has usually gotten off much too easily. Adam and Eve do nothing wrong when they listen to the snake and disobey God. Notice how crazy of a statement that is. Adam and Eve do nothing wrong when they disobey God. This is a rabbi speaking, by the way. It gives you a little bit of insight on what the Jews actually believe. You know, by eating the fruit, since God's command to them was an attempt to keep them in their place, to keep them basically the same as animals, but clearly distinct from God, thereby preserving God's special status. Only after Adam and Eve eat from the tree are they capable of fear and deception. But they are also able to show initiative for the first time and discover that they can do things for themselves, such as make clothes, which God literally had to replace later in the same exact chapter, before the snake enabled them to acquire the knowledge of good and evil, they just did what they were told. Now they have something of God's creativity in them. Now this is just a portion of that article, but how wicked and insane is that? You know, the Jews believe the Old Testament. Okay, well that's Genesis chapter 3. Alright, we're three chapters in of the first book of the Old Testament. The Jews don't believe any of the Bible. Okay, the Bible says that if you have not the Son, you don't have the Father. You know, these people are specifically told about in the New Testament that they're the synagogue of Satan. And then here I am. You know, honestly, I had no intention of even talking about the Jews tonight. But I start looking up Satanism and then I have a minister of the synagogue of Satan write an article that just falls right into my lap about how the serpent in the book of Genesis is actually the good guy. The hero literally refers to him as a hero that brings sin and death and all these horrible things into the world. How insane do you have to be? And let me just debunk a couple things in this really quick. So, you know, point number one, we would not have been like animals. He makes this idea that all Satan made it so we're not just like animals and humans aren't just another species of animals. Well, here's the thing. We clearly have dominion over animals because Adam literally named every single one of them. Okay, so to say that we're just like animals, God wanted to just keep us like animals and all these other things. No, God wanted to keep us without sin. God looked on what he made and that it was good because the world was without sin. Okay, Adam did have dominion over the animals. He named every single one of them. And before, and he's basically saying that they're the same. He had all the dominion over them. But then it's also to say that we're without sin, but then we would be like animals. Well, the thing is, just spend like five minutes just watching literally any animal. They do some of the most filthy things. Okay? We wouldn't have been like that. Alright? We have dominion over them, all these things. This is such a wild interpretation. It's something that I've never heard. I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, but I mean, what do you expect when you're listening to teaching from a rabbi? You know, about what they should be experts on in the Old Testament. But so... It's a really wild thing, but the thing is, the Bible says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. And the thing is, Jesus testified of these people specifically, rebuking the Pharisees in John chapter number 8, and says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan is the father of lies. And then you have people that think it's a good idea to follow after Satan. The father of lies. 
the, the father, he's a murderer from the beginning, he's all these things, he abode not in truth. And it's clear. I mean, Satan is the most clear villain in any literature that there is. Yet you've got so many people that somehow open this book and within three chapters, Satan's the good guy and God's the bad guy. God that gives eternal life. God that sends His only begotten Son that looks on the sin-cursed world and sends Jesus Christ to die for it and pay for all the sins of it. But then Satan, the one who coaxed Adam and Eve to bringing sin into the world. Satan, the one who desired the preeminence above God. And God's just this horrible person that didn't let him have it. The father of all lies that was a murderer from the beginning. Absolutely unbelievable. But the thing is, when you look at what these people are advocating for, when you look at this world without religion, this world without God, they're advocating for the same exact stuff since the beginning. This stuff goes all the way back to Satan in this world without God, this world where we have none of it. But here's the thing. Don't be discouraged about the world around us. Don't be discouraged about thinking how everything is bad. Because at the end of the day, we win. You know, we can look at everything that they do, we can look at the world, and we can look at all the people that might come out and say that there's nothing we can do. Well, look at the rest of Daniel chapter number 3. Verse number 16 is where we left off. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. They questioned his authority. They pulled him aside and said that he was not above God. And he gets mad at this. He wants to exercise his power and show it. And says, And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded that the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. He's flexing on him right now. He could have thrown them in the furnace at the heat that was already on there. He could have gotten any guys to pull him up, but he wants it to go as hot as it can possibly go. He wants the strongest of the men to do it, to show his power and exercise his dominion. And so they bind them, they throw them in there, and in verse number 21 it says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So all the guys that throw them in the fiery furnace are killed because of how hot it is. It says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire they answered and said unto the king true O king he answered and said lo I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ye servants of the most high God humbled immediately gets all his strongest men killed he sees Jesus standing with them there. he sees the guys his strongest men killed outside of the furnace and then these guys walking in the furnace without harm with the son of God 
right beside them. Servants of the Most High God come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and king's counselors began being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their heads seen, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire had passed on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And ye have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So he completely changes. He's humbled immediately. He understands he's not strong enough. He's not powerful enough. And ultimately, this is what happens. You can tempt God. You can do everything you want. But I think it's just interesting the picture that he gives here, that either you worship him or you're thrown in the fire. And it's funny because he had no authority to do that. He clearly had no authority to do that because the authority above him, the Son of God, stepped in and spared them from being hurt at all and killed the people that threw them in there in the first place. Now, here's the thing that's funny. That one of these days, the people that reject the free gift of salvation that's offered to the whole entire world, if they don't believe on Christ, will be thrown into the midst of a fiery furnace in the presence of the same Lamb that was with them in the midst of the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter number 3, but he's going to be a lot different then than he was then. Because the thing is, the God that throws them into hell because of their sin, because of their rejection of Jesus Christ, has every right and every authority to do so. But this tyrannical leader in Nebuchadnezzar had no right to throw people in that wouldn't bow down and worship his idol, which, by the way, is breaking the very first commandment that God even gave to Moses where we started out in Exodus chapter number 20, that he didn't have the authority to do that. It's just an interesting picture that I found out. And, you know, at the end of the day, go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. At the end of the day, people have the ability and the freedom to believe whatever they want and do whatever they want and feel however they want. But at the end of the day, we're all going to see, you know, um, for those of you that pay attention to some of the stuff that we do online, we, we haven't done them in too long, but the Spirit of Liberty podcast and stuff that we've done, there was this guy that um, we were having an issue with. He has a thing called the Preacher Boys podcast where basically he just, his whole mission, his whole life is about uh, exposing abuse within the IFB and kids and everything like that. And this guy basically, as the years go on, has just gotten more liberal, more liberal, more liberal. He's former IFB. He was an IFB I think he was a fundamental Baptist like less than 10 years ago. And he's recently just gotten more liberal and more liberal and more liberal as time goes on. And people just keep on, you know, he keeps on hearing all these stories of cover-ups and everything like that. And, you know, don't act like what I'm saying is just excusing that stuff. I don't really think anybody feels like that stuff is okay unless you're just a sick pervert and you want to cover stuff up and, you know, whatever. We don't stand for that stuff here. I think that's been very clear. But this guy recently... I think it was just a couple days ago. I didn't even have this planned to talk about this. I already had the sermon ready. But basically just came out. The guy was an independent fundamental Baptist less than seven years ago, I think, and just said that he's an atheist today. And the reason he's an atheist is because Christians are bad. And that, you know, every time he looks at these situations and he sees these churches and everything to do with it, that they just end up being bad. And that there's, there's all this bad fruit and there's all these cover-ups and he just can't understand, 
you know, is the gospel so transformative? Why there's all these things happening? And, you know, there's two perfectly good explanations for that. Number one, there's going to be tares among the wheat. You're going to have things like that that was literally promised. You see stuff like this happen, it should upset you and it should irritate you, but it should also strengthen your faith and that you know that the Bible's true when Jesus said there will be tares among the wheat. Okay, but second of all, you know, our faith isn't about what other people do. Our faith is about Jesus Christ. You know, we can't just sit back and look at church and everything like this and then expect that everything's going to be okay. And, you know, pretty much everybody initially that you talk to at face value, they'll say the reason they want a world without religion is just because of all the bad that religion's done and all the harm that religion's done and all the fighting and all these other things. And just if we didn't have any of it, everything would all be better. So you think that a world with backbiters, haters of God, you know, every single thing listed in Romans chapter number one would be a better place than a world with a church full of people that the two commandments they should be focused on more than anything is loving God with all their heart and loving thy neighbor as themselves? You think that the world would be better with people like that gone and these freaks that you see marching up and down the street on a monthly basis demanding to kill their own kids? You think that our world would be better with all of the horrible people that are in our, you know, public offices today, all of the horrible people that are forcing all of this garbage on just normal citizens just trying to mind their own business, you think the world would be better with that than Christians that follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, that follow a God that loved the world so much that he gave himself for it, that the only begotten Son of God died on a cross to pay for all of our sins, we would be better without that? That's such a ridiculous idea. And, you know, ultimately it just comes down to people getting so sucked into just stupid teachings and listening to people that profess themselves to be wise, they act really smart, they look really smart, but at the end of the day, they're fools. The Bible says that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Because no normal, understanding person can go out and look at nature or can look at people or can look at the cells or the DNA or the atoms in every single inch of this world and say, it's all just here by coincidence. That we all just came in by accident. We all just came from some tadpole swimming in muddy water that grew legs and eventually turned into male and female billions of years ago and we all just appeared from that. Insane. It is absolute insanity. But let me just explain this mindset. You know, I think it's talked about pretty well in the book of Ecclesiastes where we're just going to be in chapter number 12 because we don't have time to go through the whole book, but where people basically just get this idea that... They can't see God. They don't know for a fact. They can't look at facts and see God, which I do think that his evidence is formed through his creation. But I don't think that our faith should just rest in nothing but historical facts and scientific facts. I believe that God wants our faith to rest in Jesus Christ. Now, I think that over time, your faith can be strengthened by something like that. I think it's possible for people to be reached through these types of things. And I don't like it when people act like there's no place for it whatsoever. But at the end of the day, our faith's in Jesus Christ. It's not in, you know, science. It's not in history. Not that those things don't line up with the Bible, but just that it's Jesus Christ that saves us, not any of those things. And honestly, if you won't believe that Jesus Christ exists and you're basically waiting for some explanation to do it, you probably won't believe him anyways. I'm glad that there's people out there that have those resources available and that put the work into it, and I'm glad to know that there are some people that have been reached by that, but these people that just harden their hearts and want nothing to do with God. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes is basically the best that they can hope for. And you know what the whole book of Ecclesiastes basically just goes over? That I get a bunch of stuff, and you know what I find out? It's all vanity. 
that I get all the women, vanity. Get all the riches, vanity. Do anything that anybody could want. All the houses, all the land, all the servants, whatever. It's vanity. It's worth nothing. There's nothing to it. And look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and this is the conclusion of everything. Okay, everything that's covered in the first 11 chapters of this book. It says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and the fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and the desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even the words of truth. The words of the wise are his goads and his nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Listen to this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter about life and about going after vanity and going after all the things that it has to offer and all the different things. It says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So at the end of the day, yeah, the world has many things to offer. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's all just going to return to dust someday. All the beautiful houses, all the wonderful things that we can do, all the temptations that this world has to offer, you can go after every single one of them, but just know it's vanity. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm a big sports fan. I just enjoy it. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's vanity. All right? And while sometimes I might be watching games and getting real irritated, you know, at just... You know, the bad things that can happen. Your favorite team isn't always going to win. My favorite team never wins. But, you know, whatever. You deal with it and you move on because it's vanity and it doesn't matter. You know, it's just a game. And yes, there's millions and millions of dollars that go into it and all these other things. But you know what? Those millions and millions of dollars are vain. The money in this world is vain. The food in this world is vanity. The water, everything is vanity. You say, we need all those things. Yeah, but you know what? They're vanity. Our soul is going to live forever. Our spirit's going to live forever. I'm not saying just go live a carefree life and don't worry about any of these things or that they don't matter. I think you should take heed on these things and you should prepare yourself for hard times or whatever. But just understand that what our life should be, what the desire of everything that we do is just to fear God and keep his commandments. That we tell other people about Jesus Christ. That we show them about the God that saved them. That we don't let people just go off and say a bunch of ridiculous stuff that just every single inch of Christianity is rotten fruit, like that guy said. That, you know, is about advocating to end all child abuse and IFB and he just coincidentally turns out to be an atheist. You know, and just, oh, I'm a Christian just like you guys for years and years and years and we're all sitting back months ago saying, yeah, this guy's not saved. 
this guy's an atheist, this guy's all these other things, and then he just goes out and proves us right today. You know, and the thing is, it's because these people are all the same. Because they all advocate for the same trash, they all advocate for the same, just worshipping the government, worshipping the government, worshipping the government. And you know what? They all go down that same stupid rabbit trail, led by the synagogue of Satan themselves, and wind up live, wanting a world without God, desiring a world without religion, and desiring a world where they worship the creature rather than the creator. And so many people have been duped into this ridiculous mindset and ultimately, at the end of the day, the only solution is is that they just get introduced to the real God of the Bible and understand, you know, we debunk these wild lies like the serpent in the Garden of Eden was a hero and whatever else foolish people want to pull from the Bible. But, you know, in my personal opinion, if you think the serpent in the Garden of Eden was a hero, you're probably not going to get saved. <laughs> you know, you're... That, you know, if you can't understand that, I highly doubt you're going to be able to understand Romans 3.23 and beyond. You know, that is a, that's a really wild doctrine. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've got our faith. We have what we know is truth. We know the Bible's true. We have the ability to tell other people about salvation. And we ultimately know the truth. We know the truth about the Garden of Eden, right? We know the truth about the commandments in the Bible. We know that they're there for our good. They're not just binding these heavy burdens on us. They're not making our lives bad. Our life is better with these commandments. We live a better life. People in society would be much better off today. I mean, you can look just historically back at society and see the way society was 50, 100 years ago. There were a lot more commandments of God in place, and now we just remove commandments of God, remove commandments of God, and it's just literally chaos. You think about last year, people burning down the cities all around downtown. You say, oh, it was because of what they did to you know, George Floyd. No, it's because there's just chaos in this country because we're a wicked, horrible nation. You know, people don't just see a video and decide to go throw up, you know, whatever those things are, Molotov cocktails through business windows in downtown squares. That stuff builds up in them over a long period of time and doesn't help when someone mysteriously puts pallets of bricks in the street and whatever. You know, but, you know, so there's a lot of horrible wickedness in this country and just horrible things that have happened. But at the end of the day, we know that we're on the winning side. And all we can do while we're here is fear God and keep his commandments and advocate for him while we're here. And I think that if we do these things, we'll live a happy, peaceable life in the midst of a chaotic nation like we live in. And I think we can do everything that we can to try to uh, limit the chaos and advocate for godly things, advocate for the commandments of God to be uh, remaining in the laws or added into them. But at the end of the day, we just have to make sure that we're accountable to ourselves, accountable to each other as a church, and serving God and keeping His commandments. So with that, let's pray. So, Father, thank You so much for all that You've done for us. Thank You for loving us and caring for us and sending Your Son to die for us. I pray that You would just bless our church, bless the McMurchies as they're away, and that You would just be with us as we go to Milwaukee and go soul winning. And I pray that we could just turn a lot of people away from this foolishness and to You for salvation, Lord. And in Jesus' name, Amen.